So all right and welcome. This is Beck Barnes and Jim Stebman of Cotton Grower Magazine and we are coming at you live from the prestigious Cotton Grower Studios here on the outskirts of Memphis, Tennessee with the Cotton Companion. Uh, This is the third week of September. So uh, whether you are joining us from the Cap Rock out in West Texas or from Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., we want to thank you for capping off your 2019 harvest season with us. Uh, I am joined today, as always, by my partner, Mr. Jim Stebman. Howdy, Jim. Hello, Beck, and I, I, I tip my cap to you yeah. for, for that introduction. Well, you, you know you're running out of material when you're roping <laughs> Washington, D.C. into the Cotton Belt. I kind of, yeah, I, I broke my own rule there. But anyhow, uh, maybe there's some cotton farmers out there. I think there. there's some people, maybe be some people up there at my list. Yeah, so uh, we do want to uh, thank you all for joining us. We, as I say, are in studio this week after a week of, man, planes, trains, and automobiles last week uh, where uh, it was a week that saw both Jim and I uh, out in the Lone Star State. Jim was out uh, on the High Plains in West Texas, and I myself uh, was touring, um, but I'm struggling to find like a, na- a, ge- a name for this specific <laughs> corner of the Cotton Belt, but I was down in the Brazos Bottom and then the, uh, the rest of what I would call that area between Austin and College Station I was in uh, Elgin and Hutto and all those wonderful little towns around there. And I love getting to that part of the belt. I don't get there often enough. Um, As always, when I travel, I brought the rain with me. Unfortunately, it was an inopportune time. Uh, That tropical storm was being upgraded to a tropical storm and pressing inland off the Gulf down there uh, near Houston. And, you know, it was a big old storm. I mean, it had a lot of... um, uh, just caused just caused a lot of rain events all all up and down uh, in that area, and as y'all can probably guess, those guys down there are just trying to get the crop in at this point. They were hustling, and honestly, it messed up a couple of the interviews I was supposed to do because suddenly these guys were busy. They were trying; they didn't have time to fool some editor. They were trying to get that crop in. So um, anyhow, that and that was on the back of uh, what I came to discover. They have had. 70 some odd days without a single drop of rain out there in that part of the belt and so suddenly they they have this rain at harvest time and that's the way it goes i know so many of y'all listening to this are nodding your head going yep that's that's how it is uh so anyhow they were forging ahead and they are optimistic i mean their dryland acres down there certainly reflect a season that was spent mostly in drought but uh they're doing okay they're forging ahead and and looking forward to harvest and and uh, just have their, you know, have their chins up out there. That's why it's always so good to visit with the producers in the Lone Star State. And uh, we certainly had it covered from end to end last week. And Jim here uh, did just as much visiting out there in West Texas, but I'm going to let him summarize that for y'all a little later in the show. We'll get into it here in a bit. Um, So anyhow, we got a nice companion loaded up for y'all today. Uh, The first thing we want to do is bring you a short message from our sponsors Enlist. This episode of Cotton Companion is brought to you by the Enlist Weed Control System. Ready to help you control tough weeds with 2,4-D choline featuring inherent low volatility. So, all right, that is a timely Enlist ad because at this moment we are going to bring you a brief custom content segment featuring our custom content editor, Robin Sichtberg, and she recently sat down and spoke with Haley Neighbors, an Enlist technology specialist. So we want to bring you that custom interview right now. 
Hello, I'm Robin Sipper, custom content editor for Meister Media Worldwide, publisher of Cotton Grower Magazine. And I'm here today with Haley Neighbors, Enlist Field Specialist. Welcome to the program, Haley. Thanks, Robin. You know, as we get later in the season towards harvest, um, what kinds of training and education activities is Corteva AgriScience offering throughout the fall and winter to help educate growers about the Enlist Weed Control System? We've been extremely committed to stewardship and education. So from a training perspective, we have a variety of different opportunities um, that include in-field trainings and field days, classroom-style trainings, and even online training that's available year-round at Enlist.com. And what types of information do you share with the um, attendees at these training sessions? During these trainings, we really focus on trying to break down the label, helping applicators understand how to steward this technology. So we discuss things such as field placement to susceptible crops we need to be aware of, as well as appropriate tank mix partners and just overall best management practices of this system. Uh, so we have three years of experience now that we can draw on to really educate applicators on how to, how to be successful with the Enlist system. Why is training so important for these new technologies? I'm guessing it's because they're rather sophisticated to use, or at least more sophisticated than maybe others. They are. So these, these technologies have some nuances on the label that we've not seen before. Um, so really to be successful in managing and steward these technologies, we ultimately have to truly understand the label to use them appropriately. So the training of these labels um, really is going to help applicators make better decisions and really better applications when it comes time to make, make applications of Enlist herbicides. And where can farmers get more information on Enlist Cotton and the Enlist Ahead Management Resource and the Enlist System? For anybody looking for more information on Enlist, they can visit www.enlist.com. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Haley. I appreciate your time as always. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Have a good day. Okay, a big thank you to Robin and to Haley, uh, Haley Neighbors of Enlist, that is, uh, for joining us today. And we're going to get the ball rolling here on this, our 56th episode. And boy, it's a good one for you. Uh, as always, Jim is going to lead us in our news segment. Uh, today, he's going to be telling us about crop progress, uh, maybe some new dicamba rules coming up for 2020, and um, a potential uptick in cotton coming from down under. We are, uh, hey, we're a global media outlet here in Memphis, Tennessee. We we cover the we covered we span the globe, and so we want to tell you a little bit about Australia. Uh, so anyhow, after that. We're going to bring you an interview Jim recently, as I mentioned earlier, conducted on his travels out on the High Plains. He had a nice sit-down with Mr. Steve Verrett of the Plains Cotton Growers. Um, I believe, Jim, y'all were in his very nice new digs there uh, just around Lubbock. Is that correct? We were. the uh, and, we'll, and Steve will explain the backstory on that, uh, certainly in the interview. But yes, uh, as of uh, last Tuesday... Uh, Plains Cotton Gore moved into their new headquarters building, beautiful new building, uh, easy to find, uh, but tucked away off some of the main thoroughfares there in Lubbock. And uh, it's it's a beautiful, beautiful structure, and we'll let Steve give you all the details on it. Let him do that. I can just see my buddy Sean Wayne, Sean Wade, running in and out, boxes in and out of there. I don't envy that, but I know I will envy how nice those offices are. I have yet to see them, but I'm looking forward to it. So anyhow... As you mentioned, Jim, y'all be talking about that a little later. We're going to bring you that update from the High Plains. I know so many of y'all in the rest of the belt have a uh, interest in how the crop looks out there on the High Plains because it has such a big impact on 
you know, our market. Um, and so, you know, we'll give you an update on that. So we got a great episode. Without further ado, I want to turn it over to Jim here, who's going to lead us in a focused discussion of the news items of the day. Go for it, Jim. Thank you, Beck. Uh, we'll start, as always, uh, with our crop progress update, uh, basically saying, just like we've been saying for the last several episodes, this crop is maturing ahead of schedule. Uh, as of September 16th, the report shows that 54% of the U.S. crop now have open bowls. That's an 11% jump from the previous week and was still 7% ahead of the five-year average for this date. Uh, harvested acres were reported at 9% for the U.S. That was slightly up uh, from the week before. Texas, the only state showing a double-digit percentage uh, thanks to the ongoing harvest in the south and coastal regions of the state. But uh, the report also noted that activity was starting to pick up in Arizona in parts of the lower mid-south and parts of the southeast. Uh, crop condition continued to be relatively stable with 41% of the crop rated good to excellent, 42% rated fair, and 17% rated poor to very poor, which is actually a 1% improvement in that category. So uh, that's where we stand as of, uh, as of this point. Uh, new report is due out here within the next, uh, next 24 hours. And I expect to see those harvest numbers really climbing at this point. Yeah, yeah, just dodging hurricanes from here, you know, in much of the belt. Just got our fingers crossed and keeping our prayers up. You know, we we get out of this rest of the season uh, event free. Right. We got fields and we got fields in G- South Georgia and other parts of the Mid South that are already defoliated and ready to go. So uh, hopefully we can get some th- get that cotton out of the field before anything bad might happen. Right. To right. Moving on, the uh, Arkansas State Plant Board met on September 17th to discuss changes to the current rules regarding the use of dicamba in Arkansas, uh, and these are rules that will be put in place for the 2020 growing season. Uh, the Plant Board approved an amended draft rule for dicamba applications in Arkansas that keeps the current cutoff date of May 25th in effect, and they also made a few other changes. From April 16th to May 25th, all applications of in-crop dicamba products must be reported via the Arkansas Department of Agriculture's online registry, and then growers are going to need to do that within 10 days of the application. In that same time period, April 16th to May 25th, applicators of dicamba products must have a printed GPS map of the application areas available upon request. And finally, the restriction on dicamba use during burndown that was added as an emergency rule just before the beginning of this of the 2019 growing season was permanently added. Uh, the proposed rule changes are now in the hands of the governor for approval, and if he approves these rules, there will be a 30-day public comment period followed by legislative review. But uh, it looks like uh, in terms of Arkansas, dicamba is still on, this, on the, the schedule. Uh, they're just doing a few things to uh, it looks like tweak a couple of the dates and and some of the some of the requirements. So uh, good news, I guess, for growers at this point. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Next, uh, if you're a cotton grower, or if you're a Jenner, you have received uh, a calendar from the Cotton Board every year, uh, and their uh, their annual cotton Cotton Board calendar contest for 2020 is now open. Uh, in this contest, the folks at the Cotton Board are looking to uh, select one winning photo 
to be featured in the 2020 industry calendar. Uh, time is of the essence, however, because this contest ends October 7th at noon Central Time. So in order to be eligible to enter and to be eligible to win, contestants must go to, uh, to Facebook and like the Cotton Board Facebook page, then email their high-res JPEG photo files to Stacy Gorman at the Cotton Board. And I'm going to give you her email address here. That's S Gorman. That's S-G-O-R-M-A-N at cottonboard.org. Uh, if you want to enter, you can enter up to three entries per person. Uh, and the Cotton Board staff will be vo voting then to determine the winning photo from the grower perspective to include in the calendar. Uh, the winner will have their photo along with the photo credit featured in the calendar. They will also receive, <clears throat> excuse me, a cotton prize pack, including 25 copies of the calendar plus other cotton prizes. Now, if you if you couldn't follow me in in, in on this form, uh, all the information about the entries and the eligibility uh, requirements can be found online at cottongrower.com. Yeah, a couple things there. Mm -hmm. Number one, y'all should already be liking the Cotton Board's Facebook page, good Facebook page there, our, our friends over there. <clears throat> Number two, if well, if you are not, please go ahead and do so. You can find them easy okay. on Facebook. Number two, so many of y'all are aspiring photographers out there. If I had a nickel for every, and Jim, I don't know if this has been your experience too, but for every time I go do a grower interview and I'm trying to get a good picture of them <clears throat> and either they have a better camera than I do and are a better photographer than I am, or they've already got these great pictures that their wives or children sure. have taken of them that they're just like, here, just use this one. Or they pull their drone out and say, let me give you a shot of the whole right, field. Right. So, yeah. so many of y'all are And such, we love that, by the way. Yeah, yeah. And I, I do. Yeah, absolutely. So many of y'all are such good photographers that you should absolutely forward your, your great shots to the cotton board. Who knows? You might see it blown up in gin offices and farm offices all over the country. Absolutely. Um, we have another uh, farm tour of, uh, of the U.S. Cotton Belt coming up uh, with textile manufacturing executives representing 14 countries are going to visit the U.S. Cotton Belt uh, September 30th through October 4th. This is the part of the 41st Cotton USA Orientation Tour. Uh, this tour is sponsored by Cotton Council International. And it, uh, its primary goal is to increase awareness of the types and qualities of U.S. cotton, uh, help these very important customers gain a better understanding of U.S. market practices, and obviously enhance their relationships with U.S. exporters. This year's tour includes executives that represent 32 companies based in these uh, 14 countries. And those countries are Bangladesh, China, Ecuador, El Salvador, Guatemala, India, Japan, Korea, Pakistan, Peru, Taiwan, Thailand, Turkey, and Vietnam. I think I've pretty much covered most of the globe yeah. with that one. Yeah. Uh, these manufacturers, we are told, uh, are expected to uh, consume about 3.7 million bales of cotton in uh, 2019, and the U.S. market share with these 32 companies at this point is estimated at about 33%. So, you know, a sizable group and, uh, and certainly a sizable market share. Now, they're going to have a busy week. Uh, it's going to include visits to a Mid-South cotton farm and visits to a uh, cotton warehouse out in the Lubbock area. Uh, the group is going to observe cotton research in North Carolina and Mississippi. Uh, 
They're going to tour the USDA classing office here near Memphis and also are going to meet with U.S. cotton exporters and get briefings from a number of cotton organizations in the country, including CCI, the National Cotton Council, Cotton Incorporated, American Cotton Shippers, uh, the Texas Cotton Association, Lubbock Cotton Exchange, AMCOT, uh, American Cotton Producers, Delta Council, Plains Cotton Growers, and the Western Cotton Shippers Association and Supima. So uh, it's going to be going to be a cram cram packed few days yeah. of uh, of meetings here. Yeah, for those that's, folks. that's a lot. Those guys are are getting to see everybody. I'm kind of uh, that'd be a good refresher course for me to check in on all those different <laughs> groups and hear hear what everybody's saying. But yeah, good for those folks. They're, they're seeing the works. Absolutely. And finally, one of the uh, the items Beck mentioned, uh, we all know how uh, what the world thinks of Australia's cotton. Uh, that's generally considered a high-quality cotton, pretty much on par with, with the U.S. Uh, they obviously just don't have quite the acreage there, but their reputation for cotton production is pretty, uh, is pretty solid. But their multi-billion dollar cotton industry may be expanding should South Australia follow its plan to overturn a 16-year ban on genetically modified crops in that area, and that vote is going to be taken sometime in December. Uh, there are currently 1,500 Australian, give or take, 1,500 Australian cotton farmers. Uh, they are primarily divided between the New South Wales and Greensland, uh, with a handful in Victoria. These are all provinces and areas in, in northern Australia. And 99% of that production is heavily reliant on uh, genetically modified varieties for insect and weed management. Now, a spokesperson with the South Australian government says the main reason the moratorium is going to be scrapped is to give farmers in that area more choice on what crops they would like to grow. Officials with Cotton Australia say that uh, South Australia's Riverland region, which is currently known for its wine and its citrus production, could be best suited to grow GM cotton once the ban ends, primarily thanks to newer shorter season varieties that are more adaptable to cropping conditions in that area. Now, as you would expect, conservationists are kind of up in arms over this potential move. Uh, but the reality of, of the situation is that any grower decision to move into cotton is going to be based uh, on two things. Primarily on water allocation, because Australia has been dealing with a drought for the, last, uh, for the last year. And also, if the expected financial returns for cotton are higher than the traditional crops that they are currently growing. So it's something to keep an eye on for 2020. Uh, certainly since the U.S. shares several common markets with Australia and their high-quality cotton. And that's it from the news. Yeah, uh, common markets and common issues we share with those Aussies. Absolutely. I, mean, they, you know, I just feel like they deal with a lot of the same things that our growers here do, and that's evidenced by I get <clears throat> so many occasionally comments on Cotton Growers' Twitter feed from uh, down under, and I always think that's so neat um, that those guys are following along. I mean, again, they deal with the same production stuff that we do, um, and they always send us. It'll be planting season here, and they will be posting the most beautiful pictures of big showy cotton fields because, of course, they're in the southern hemisphere, so the seasons are reversed. So anyhow, uh, we'll be keeping an eye on them down there in Australia. Okay, uh, we want to break uh, our news segment off there, and we're going to bring you all that interview with Mr. Steve Verrett of the Plains, uh, Plains Cotton Growers, I should say, not the Plains Cotton Growers. Anyhow, Jim... 
Uh, can you kind of just set up briefly? Tell me what y'all talked about. I know we mentioned the big, new, nice new building there. What else did y'all cover? Right, absolutely. Uh, one of the things that we wanted to talk about that I wanted to talk to Steve about was sort of the status of the West Texas crop, uh, knowing that like every other, seems like every other area of the country, uh, they started out with really good moisture. They ran into some weather issues. They had to replant. It turned dry. Uh, some dry land acres were abandoned. I uh, just really wanted to find out where the crop was at this point, and uh, and Steve had a really good, uh, certainly has a really good handle on that. We talked about uh, the markets, uh, the impact on on the the uh, the growers in their area. Uh, talked a little bit about the market facilitation program, and then finally segued into some of the background on this building. So, uh, if you hear a slight echo in the uh, in the presentation it's because we were working out of steve's new office and there's not a whole lot of furniture in it <laughs> yeah. at this point yeah uh, so I, I anticipate that problem being solved by the next time we're ha- we happen to be out there but it, again beautiful facility i know they're proud of it and uh it's it's going to be a huge uh huge benefit not only to them but also to other ag organizations out in that area as well very good okay jim uh With that said, we will turn it over. We'll bring that interview with Steve Verrett right now. Welcome to this edition of our Market Minute. Today, we're live on the road in Lubbock, Texas. We're visiting with Steve Verrett, who's Executive Vice President of Plains Cotton Growers. Steve, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm glad to be with you today, Jim. Welcome to Lubbock. I appreciate it. It's always good to be out here. Always good. Uh, Steve, it's been an interesting year in cotton production in the U.S., all across the belt, it seems like. Uh, what's the current status of the West Texas crop right now? And, and I know you can also speak from that from a grower perspective. Uh, what do you, how are things going? How are growers feeling right now? Well, you know, typically, uh, you know, we cover a big area, as you know, Jim, so it's kind of hard sometimes to speak in generalities. But I've got to say, when you look at the crop as a whole uh, for the high plains of Texas, it's going to be, Uh, barring any crazy weather between now and harvest, it's going to be an above-average crop. Uh, It started with the potential of being a spectacular crop. Uh, You know, we went into the year with uh, good subsoil moisture, Mm -hmm. and so everybody was really excited about that. The spring was a little rough, like it was in a lot of places. Planting was a little bit delayed. We had some cool weather. Right. Uh, we didn't get planted as timely as what we had hoped for. Some areas in our northern panhandle area, uh, you know, missed planting completely. They got even more rain, more cool weather, and so a lot of acres were never planted. But once, you know, we got the crop in the ground, got it up and going, uh, you know, once again, moisture is always our biggest concern here. So the, the hope sprung eternal. Of course. That this was going to be a great year, mm-hmm. uh, especially for dry land cotton. But as you know, just like the rain can start, the rain can stop. And uh, long about the 1st of July, it quit raining. Yep. And so, um, you know, there was still hope certainly through July, and uh, but it, the rains never came. And even though a lot of our dry land guys were so hopeful and spent extra money fertilizing and doing some things, uh, that they might not normally do, especially in a droughty year. It's just turned out to be nothing better than an average year mm-hmm. at best for our dry land sure. guys. So uh, that's where we are. But, you know, there was a time when we planted, as I said, we were a little behind. Everybody was concerned about getting this crop to maturity and worried about heat units and right. heat unit ac- accumulation. 
by the 1st of August, people were less concerned about heat units as they were rain units. Yeah. So that, in essence, the crop is mature. It's where it needs to be from that standpoint. Good. Uh, and harvest will be starting here in probably the next couple of weeks. That's great. And nobody's fretting about early frost at this point. I don't, you know, we wouldn't like a hard freeze today, but as long as it's a normal frost date, you know, towards the end of October, everything should be great. Sounds good. Steve, uh, it, it sort of feels like we have all been watching, all, all of us in the industry have been watching and we've been covering and everybody's kind of dealing with this trade dispute between the U.S. and China. Uh, it seems like we've been working on that forever. Uh, you know, it's been just a little over a year. Um, we certainly see how the overall market's been impacted. But can you give me maybe more specifically how the impact is, has impacted uh, the growers here and, and certainly in the West Texas economy? Well, and it's, you know, this is the thing I continue to say. Certainly it's affected cotton, but, you know, we don't have any commodity prices that look appealing at this right. point in time. And so... All producers are being challenged. I talk about this being a roller coaster year. We talked about the crop and what that was, but you know, is it when they announced the MFP program? Uh, you know, everybody got pretty excited about that. There were still hopes. You know, that was the end of July. We'd get a rain and everything would would be great. Mm -hmm. uh, but as it's turned out, you know, the crop's not going to be what it is, and certainly crop prices have not come back. But you know, a lot of people, including myself looked at uh, in the spring and may have contracted, may have done some, put some in a pool, uh, may have put some on a basis contract. Myself, we contracted half of our acres in a basis contract, set the basis, but I wasn't smart enough to pull the trigger, you know, <laughs> when we had prices around 75, 76 cents. Mm -hmm. So there's nobody to blame but me that because I could have easily netted something around 72, 73 cents. But like a lot of folks, we felt like maybe this trade deal was going to get settled right? and we'd be back to the races. Uh, you know, I continue at this time to be concerned that, you know, we need to get this trade deal settled, but I'm becoming less optimistic that even if it gets done, that we're going to see a big bump in prices. I'm afraid that we're going to be dealing with some of these lower prices for maybe the next uh, 12 to 18 months anyway. Okay. Uh, I, that's just my opinion. I don't have anything to base it on, but I'm just concerned about where we're going to be, especially come next year, how we get financing done. Sure, absolutely. Now, you mentioned the MFP program, uh, and that is obviously going to provide some financial relief for growers. Uh, kind of from your understanding, is there anything else going on in D.C. that, that could help alleviate some of these economic pressures? Well, I think it's going to be very difficult to do anything, you know, we've heard from producers saying, you know, that, you know, as I mentioned, thought that MFP and, and it's very generous. It's one of the most generous Absolutely. programs I've ever witnessed mm -hmm. in my farming and being in this business. Uh, you know, so, but as I mentioned there, we've got folks that it's going to take every bit of that and some more right. to break out because of where prices are now. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but I just think it's going to be difficult to do anything additional on this 19 crop. What our concentration has been on, what we're already starting to talk about is how are we going to get producers financed if we come to February and the crop insurance price is 60 to 63, 64 cents, right. which is where we're at on futures. <clears throat> 
that's not going to fly. Mm -hmm. And so what we got to start talking about is what are we looking at for 2020? Some kind of assurance that, you know, if this thing is not settled and not taken care of, that there could be an MFP3. Right. And I know that may sound to a lot of people, you know, a bit uh, maybe on the edge, but in reality, that's what it's going to take mm -hmm. unless these prices come back. And I mentioned already, it's not like even if we ha our folks don't have a lot of opportunity to plant other, other crops. But let's talk about people in the Mid-South or the Southeast that might be able to move to corn or beans or whatever. Those don't look any better. No. And so this is not just a cotton issue. It's an agriculture issue yeah. across the board. Absolutely. Steve, we are sitting here right now amidst boxes and furniture and, and things like that as, as Plains Cotton Growers is moving and settling into its brand new offices. Uh, give me a little bit of background on this move and, and sort of what the benefits are going to be for, for the organization and for your members. Well, this will be the first time since the organization's founding in 1956 that it will own its own facility. We've always been in a, in a rented facility. And there was a good reason for that. You know, when the organization started, you know, who knew how long it was going to be around? Exactly, exactly. Number one. But I think, uh, you know, we've proven the worth of the organization. It has a, a, a good track record of, of representing High Plains cotton producers. And so we believe that this is a stake in the ground saying we're going to be here another 55 or 60 years. Yep. And so uh, the process started a year ago in July where our finance committee and executive committee, uh, we'd been looking at different facilities uh, and just decided it was time to just uh, build our own facility of what we needed and what we uh uh, to justify and to, to meet the needs of the organization. One of the main differences in this facility is we have a much larger conference room mm -hmm. and a much larger kitchen for, for doing events and, and meetings and such. Right. Uh, a lot of your listeners uh, are from this area and, the, and even visitors from outside have come to our uh, bi-weekly Friday morning meetings that the industry comes in and discusses what's going on in the crop. And it's mm -hmm. not unusual to have at least 50 people at those meetings. Last week, we had over 60 people. This new facility will allow all of them to actually have a chair and, Everybody can sit for and be in the room. <laughs> Literally, they were standing in the doorways and uh, outside the room to participate and to hear what was going on. So right. this is about uh, our working with others in the industry, not only the cotton industry, but also we have m many other groups that are headquartered here in the sure, Lubbock area. The, the sorghum people are here. Mm -hmm. We've got the corn, the Texas corn growers are located here. So it's our job and uh, one of our goals to work across the commodity lines as well. So our facility will be available to a lot of different folks to be able to use. That's great. Well, it's a beautiful facility, Thank uh, you. both inside and outside. It's, yeah. it's very, very impressive. And you're going to be very, very happy with it. Steve, thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. It's always great to catch up with you. Uh, your perspectives are always very, very beneficial to us. Thank you, Jim. It's a pleasure. Thank you. We'll be right back with the rest of the Cotton Companion. It's okay then. Uh, well, we want to give a big thanks to Steve. We know that he stays busy out there on the High Plains, but uh, he always makes time for us. I actually Leaned on him a little bit for a story I wrote in the September issue on harvest fire safety. 
and he took time out of a busy day that day to, to help me out. So uh, we are appreciative of him and all the work that they do out at PCG. So we're going to hear a brief message from our sponsor, Enlist, and I'll be back to get you out of here after that. A cotton field at harvest can be a beautiful sight. Besides evaluating yield, you may be scouting for weeds and considering weed management plans for next year. Let Phytogen Cottonseed with the Enlist trait help you control your toughest weeds. With Phytogen W3FE varieties, you can make Enlist herbicides the cornerstone of your weed control program. You can apply a burndown and pre-emergence treatments featuring residual herbicides, then take advantage of Enlist herbicides post-emergence. Enlist 1 is a straight goods 2,4-D choline that offers additional tank mix flexibility, including the ability to tank mix with glufosinate. Enlist Duo Herbicide is a convenient blend of 2,4-D choline and glyphosate. Both feature near-zero volatility and reduced drift potential to stay on target during and after application. Learn more at Enlist.com. All right, well, that's going to just about do it for this installment of the Cotton Companion podcast. We want to thank Enlist for sponsoring us, and we want to thank you, dear listener, for joining us. Uh, If you like what you're hearing, by all means, please tell your farmer friends about this podcast. They can get to us in three easy ways. The first, go to cottongrower.com forward slash companion, and you'll find uh, a landing page that has all 56 of our episodes listed there by topic. A second way You can subscribe to our channel on iTunes, wherever you find, or whatever other app you find your podcasts on these days. The third way, the best way, is to sign up for our weekly e-newsletter, the Cotton Grower e-news. You can do that by going to www.cottongrower.com forward slash subscribe. That way you get every Tuesday morning a new weekly e-newsletter from Cotton Grower e-news. Got all the news of the day and our podcasts on it. So... Please make sure you're following us on social media. We are at Cotton Grower Mag on Twitter and on Facebook. You can find us by simply searching for Cotton Grower Magazine. We hope that you are enjoying our latest issue. That's going to be the September issue. And uh, the October one we've wrapped on, it's our special October product guide, and it will be in your mailboxes here in a couple of weeks. This podcast is produced by Mr. Tyler Hatch. He works at the Mothership Meister Media Worldwide in beautiful Willoughby, Ohio. My name is Beck Barnes, and I'm going to be back with you in two weeks on the next installment of The Cotton Companion. For now, on behalf of my own cotton companion, Jim Stebman, we wish you and your farm all the best. Thank you for listening to this episode of Cotton Companion. Visit Enlist.com to learn more about the Enlist weed control system and to hear from farmers experiencing the technology.